do not underestimate the power of mobility work and movement prep. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? I'm so glad that you are here to join me this week for our episode. My current state is feeling grateful for the election results. Such a massive relief to hear that President Trump will finally not be president anymore. And I'm feeling grateful for this weather that we're having in November. Somehow it feels like September. And I'm feeling grateful for Eric coming home for the next two days. So lots of good things and good vibes over here. This week on the podcast, I want to talk about all things relating to mobility. Of course, there is so much that we could talk about when it comes to this massive topic. So today my goal is not to give you all of the information about mobility, but kind of to give you an overview of the most important concepts when we think about mobility and our movement prep for our workouts. This is a topic that we haven't covered in much depth on the podcast yet, and I think 79 episodes in, it's about time. So what is mobility? Mobility at its core is the ability to move. The ability to move through the prerequisite ranges of motion that we need to be able to move through to go about our activities of daily living in a pain-free way, in a way that doesn't result in movement compensations or unneeded wear and tear on our bodies and joints. Mobility is important because humans have evolved for movement. We are meant to move and we function as our best selves when we are moving well. Everything about us from our mental health to our intelligence to our memory and learning, so many things having to do with the brain, but also having to do with other functions of our bodies, such as our respiration, our cardiovascular health, our digestion, All of these things are linked back to movement. So mobility at its core is really something that we should all be striving for and thinking about. At DTS Fitness Education, we take a joint-centric approach to movement because movement happens at joints. Yes, the muscles and soft tissue surrounding those joints allow movement to happen, but at its core, if we take care of and think about our joints and have healthy joints, then our movement should be healthy as well. There are three main things that I want to talk about when it comes to mobility and movement. The first is I want to talk about our bony anatomy. This is something that we can't change no matter how much mobility work that we do. Then I want to talk about the joints and joint capsules. And then finally, we'll touch on muscles and soft tissue. So first, we need to consider our anatomy, because as I've said, our anatomy is something that we cannot change, but it will have an impact on our movement. 
Humans come in all different shapes and sizes, and our bony anatomy is all very different. There are lots of different examples for how your anatomy can affect the way that you are able to move. At the hip, the orientation of your femur might be more antiverted, which means that your femur will point more forward, or it might be more retroverted, which means that your femur points more to the side. The hip socket itself might be deep, or it might be a little bit more shallow. And both of those things are going to affect your ability to flex and extend at your hip. It's also going to affect things like your squat stance and your ability to get down into a deep squat. The application of this is that if you know that you have a more retroverted hip, your toes will point out to the side more when you squat. If you have a more antiverted hip, you know that your toes will point more forward when you squat. If you know that you have a more shallow hip socket, it might be very easy for you to get down into a deep squat position. If your hip socket is deeper, you might never get down into a full deep squat position with a neutral spine. So it's important to know these things because it will change our strategy when it comes to how we move. At the shoulder, an example of how your anatomy might affect your movement is in the shape of your acromion. The acromion is a little bony process that sits right on the top of your shoulder. What's really important to know is that some people have an acromion that is more hooked and some have an acromion that is less hooked. If you have an acromion that is more hooked, basically what that means is that you are more likely to experience shoulder impingement, especially when moving into overhead positions. So you might have a bit of a restriction in your range of motion simply due to the shape of that process. Finally, last week on the podcast, we heard Aaron Horshig talk about how anthropometrics will affect your movement. Anthropometrics is simply different limb lengths and their ratio between one another. So not everyone will have the same ratio of their length of their torso to their femur, for example. These ratios will have a big impact on how different movement patterns look on your body. No matter how much mobility work you do, you will never change your anatomy. So understanding that you have to work with what you're given as far as your anatomy is important. Another important thing to understand is your degree of hypermobility. Some bodies naturally have more joint laxity And the way we refer to that is thinking of those bodies as more hypermobile. Now, hypermobility is not a black and white concept. It's not like you are either hypermobile or you're not. It's a spectrum. And also you could have different degrees of laxity at different joints in your body. So someone that we might classify as hypermobile might not be hypermobile at every single one of their joints. A very easy screen that we like to use at DTS is called a Byton score, and it can give you an idea of whether you are hypermobile or not. 
The Byton score is a score out of nine points, and it's a very easy test that you can perform on yourself right now. Let's do it together. The first two points come from if you take your palm and you face it up to the ceiling as if you're carrying a platter, and then you try to extend your pinky downwards. If your pinky hits 90 degrees, so if your pinky is able to point straight down towards the floor, then that would give you one point. If you can do that on your right hand, you'll get one point. If you can do it on your left hand, you would get another point. The next two points come from if you turned your palm down towards the ground, can you take your thumb and touch it to your forearm? If you can do that on the right side, you would give yourself another point. If you can do it on the left side, you'd give yourself another point. So now we're up to four. The next two points come from your ability to hyperextend at your elbow joint. So if you take your arm and put it straight out to the side, if your elbow extends beyond straight and goes at least 10 degrees more, so your forearm is kind of pointing down towards the ground, then that would be another point if you can do it on the right and another point if you can do it on the left. You can then do the same thing with your legs. Sitting down on the ground with your legs extended straight out in front of you, can you hyperextend your leg so that your shin points up at at least a 10 degree angle? That would be another point for your right and another point for your left. So now we're up to eight total points. And the last point comes if you can bend over and with straight legs, place your palms fully on the ground. If you can do that, you would get that ninth point. This is just a screen. As I've said, it is not a black and white measurement, but in general, if you have a score of four or five, that means that you have some degree of hypermobility. And the application of this is understanding that if you have a high score, that you're probably going to need more stability work than mobility work in your movement prep. And also you're probably disqualified from doing any joint distraction techniques. So let's talk about the joint capsule at your hips and at your shoulders. These are two of the main places that we would be looking to do banded distraction techniques. What we want within the joint capsule is we want for the joint to be centrated. Thinking of the hip, that would mean that the femur is centrated in the acetabulum. And for the shoulder, that would mean that the humerus is centrated in the glenoid fossa. Why do we care about joint centration? We care about the joint being centrated because that allows for it to express movement through all of the ranges of motion that it is supposed to. It also allows for the best transfer of force through the entire kinetic chain. You'll have the right muscles activating at the right times to express strength if the joint is centrated. If you have a restriction at part of the joint capsule, it will restrict you from moving through a range of motion as well as restrict you from being able to transfer force optimally. Another reason that joint centration is so key is because if we don't address the joint 
first and there's a restriction in that joint capsule, it doesn't matter how much soft tissue work that we do. It doesn't matter how much foam rolling or stretching that you do. The soft tissue will always return to its shortened state because there is a restriction at the joint. So we really need to address the joints first if we want our soft tissue work to be effective. So the next logical question is why would we have a restriction in our joint capsule? The reason that this happens is because our body adapts to the positions that we spend the most time in. For most of us, that's a lot of sitting. So at our hip, for example, that's the hip sitting in a flexed position. Spending hours and hours in that position without getting full extension on the hip could over time cause a restriction in the posterior part of your hip joint. So what we can do is we can do banded distraction work to help to recentrate these joints. As I've said, the most common places that we would do banded distraction would be at the hip and the shoulder, and then there's also a banded distraction that we can do at the ankle. The angle of pull that you would want from the band on your joint depends on where your restriction lies in that joint capsule. If you want to see examples of band mobilizations that you can do for the hip and the shoulder, I suggest that you check out the DTS Fitness Education YouTube channel. Personally, I use the banded distraction technique for ankles all the time because I have an opportunity, which means that I basically have room for improvement in my ankle dorsiflexion which limits my squat pattern because you need adequate ankle dorsiflexion in order to get into a deep squat position. So I really enjoy doing banded ankle distractions. At the ankle, the talus bone should glide back on the tibia to allow for dorsiflexion to happen. If the talus is unable to glide on the tibia, it can cause some restriction in dorsiflexion. So what you do is you take a band and you put it nice and low on your talus bone, on your foot. You elevate your foot up on a plate or a bench so that the angle of pull is down. And then basically you drive your knee forward as far as you can over your toe with some good tension pulling back on that band. And it can facilitate that gliding of the talus and the tibia to improve ankle dorsiflexion. Now, if you are experimenting with any mobility techniques, whether it's banded distraction or something else, it is so important to make sure that that technique is actually effective for you and your body. You don't want to go through the gamut of doing 30 minutes of mobility work before every single workout without knowing if those things that you're choosing to do are actually helping you to improve your movement. So the way to test for effectiveness of mobility techniques is to test the movement pattern before you do the mobility work, go do the mobility work, and then come back and retest. If you felt a change, if you felt like the movement was smoother, or you felt like you got a greater range of motion, or you felt less restricted, that's your signal that it's effective for your body. Not all mobility techniques work for everyone. 
Our bodies are all so different. So you want to know that what you're doing is actually effective for you. So I encourage you to always use that test and retest method. Moving on from our banded distraction techniques, then we get into our stretching and soft tissue work. These things can definitely be helpful and effective, but we want to make sure that they're translating into the movement that we are trying to improve. So that requires knowing what movement pattern you are trying to improve. Is it your squat, your hinge, your push, your pull, your rotation? What are you looking to improve? And then it requires that you test and retest using that movement. Let's talk about trigger points first. Trigger points are what we perceive to be knots in our muscles that might be quite tender or potentially painful to the touch. Trigger points can cause a muscle to be locked in a shortened or lengthened position, which can limit a joint's range of motion and can also limit the ability for that muscle to express strength. When you have a trigger point, your brain is sending too strong of a signal to those muscle fibers, creating tone within the muscle fibers when it doesn't need to be doing so. We address trigger points through rolling. So either using a foam roller or using a lacrosse ball or some other kind of implement that can provide some pressure over that trigger point. What that does is it's primarily a neural effect that it has. It acts to dampen the neural signal that the brain is sending to the muscle and helps to decrease the tone of that trigger point. The most important thing to remember about trigger points is when you are doing trigger point work, you do not want to exceed a six out of 10 on a scale of discomfort. This is so important because if you exceed that six out of 10 level, the discomfort that you're feeling instead of allowing the neural signal to dampen will actually increase the signal and put you into a more sympathetic, riled up state. And it won't allow for the release of the trigger point to actually happen. So I think sometimes we feel like it needs to be a nine or a 10 on the discomfort scale in order to be effective when we're doing our rolling, that in fact, we're sort of working against ourselves when we do that. The other thing about trigger points is that frequency is king. If you can return to that trigger point three, four, or five times a day, and even if you're only addressing it for 30 seconds to a minute, that is better than rolling for five minutes straight. Trigger point work can definitely be effective to improve your mobility. Just a bit ago, we talked about how you can test your hypermobility or screen for your hypermobility using the Byton score. Interestingly, those of us that tend to be a little more hypermobile may actually have more trigger points because in order to protect our lax joints, tissue surrounding may develop increased tone as a protective mechanism. So if you net it out with a high bite and score, trigger point techniques might be a great place for you to turn to first. Other dynamic soft tissue techniques and stretches are also great things to add into your movement prep. Remember, the body adapts to the positions that it spends time in. 
If we do dynamic exercises and warm-ups that put our joints into the ranges of motion that we want it to be able to express, then that will translate to better mobility during our workouts. So the stretching and soft tissue work is also an important component when you think about mobility. With any mobility work, improvements come with consistency. Whatever techniques you have chosen that you feel like are working for your body, commit to doing them on a consistent basis, and over time you will start to see incremental improvement in your mobility. There are two final things that I want to mention to make sure that they're not overlooked. The first is mobility of the T-spine. T-spine mobility is the foundation for your upper body mobility. The scapula glides along the rib cage. If your thoracic spine sits in a flexed position and doesn't have the mobility to move into a more extended position, it will limit the ability for your scapula to glide along your rib cage. What that translates to is it limits your upper body and shoulder mobility. Because we spend so much time bent over our phones, bent over, hunched over, doing work at our computers, a lot of people are lacking that T-spine extension. If you or you have a client who has opportunities with their upper body mobility, please do not overlook the T-spine. It is an essential component and might truly be the missing link. The other thing I want you to be aware of is the downsides of asymmetry in your mobility. It is almost more concerning to be drastically asymmetrical between the two sides of your body than it is to have a lesser range of motion but be symmetrical on both sides. If you see gross asymmetries in your mobility, it is your telltale sign that you want to be prioritizing unilateral over bilateral work. If you prioritize bilateral movements but you have an asymmetry, over time a joint will take a hit. It is more likely than not that it will manifest itself as pain down the line. Overall, when we think of our mobility and our movement prep, the goal is to be able to have 10 to 15 minutes of exercises that you know are quite effective for your body and allow you to have the most effective workout possible. The goal is not to spend 30 minutes foam rolling, doing trigger point work, doing all the banded distractions. Boil it down to the couple of things that make the biggest difference for you. As a coach, if you're a coach, I hope that you really take the time to personalize your client's warmups based on their mobility needs. I would perhaps argue that the nuance of coaching is less within the program that you write and more within the movement prep that you give your client. If you set them up with the right warm-up, the right mobility work, you are setting them up for success as they move into their exercises. Do not underestimate the power of mobility work and movement prep. Okay, everyone, that is all of my thoughts for you this week. As always, thank you so much 
for tuning in and listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Breaker, and lots of other podcasting platforms. Better yet, if you're enjoying what you're hearing on How Do You Feel, I would love if you could share it with a friend or a family member who you feel like could benefit from the things that we talk about on How Do You Feel. Okay, everyone, have an awesome day. And as always, make sure you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.